Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this beautiful Monday morning, a joyful Monday morning, as Megan says. I agree. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Dale. Good to have you all with us as we are thinking through God's Word together, and we're continuing to look at Paul's letter to the Romans. Today, we're in chapter 5, and as I've been thinking through how how to uh, go th- go through this, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. We're in for some rough waves here ahead. Hey, Edgar, glad that you're here. Good morning, Ken. Uh, you'll see what I mean. And uh, for those of you who are listening via podcast later, uh, not watching on video, uh, I'm going to try to help you see all these things as we go. Ah, I'm just going to get into it. How about that? Let's just get into it. So chapter five begins with this statement about us. Uh, this word then here, I'm, by the way, I'm using the uh, little literal standard version. And I told you last week, we're going to see how um, how it goes, see if this confuses you. But that's what I'm going to use for a little while here. All right. So this should be therefore, therefore, then, same kind of deal. We who have been declared righteous by faith. Now, remember this, we have a chapter break here. But the, the context has not changed at all. He's just comparing uh, Abraham. Uh, we'll just go back here to verse 22 of chapter 4. For this reason also it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Remember, Abraham believed the promise of God. God said to him, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Abraham didn't have any descendants at this point. He was an old man. He and his wife were incapable of having children. God says, I'm going to give you more offspring than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham believed God. And it was put on his account for righteousness. Now, Paul says it was not written on his account alone that it was reckoned to him. In other words, why did Moses write this down? Why did Moses write down Genesis 15, 6? For our account as well, or on our account as well, to whom it is about to be reckoned. What is about to be reckoned? Righteousness. To us, believing on him who raised up Jesus our Lord out of the dead. So Abraham believed that God would give him innumerable descendants, and that was credited to him as righteousness. We believe on the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And that belief is credited to us for righteousness. And then describing Jesus, he says, who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our being declared righteous. Therefore, we who are declared righteous or we who have been declared righteous by faith, we have Peace toward God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where have we seen peace in Romans thus far? Anybody? See, this is why we have to read and reread and reread. He is not launching into a new section. He's not giving us, uh, he's not now giving us the doctrine of sanctification. That's not the point. We have seen peace already. Anybody? Are you scouring your uh, 
concordance or do you remember this from what we have looked at? I'll show you. Remember in chapter two, where Paul is trying to show that Jews and Gentiles both are, um, are under threat of God's justice because of works. And in chapter two, verse five, he says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. So when on the day of wrath, when God reveals his righteousness, he's going to render to everyone according to their deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, what will God render to the one who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality? He will render to them eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he will render wrath and indignation. He goes on, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. And remember the point there was, the Jews are no better off than the Gentiles. If you think, Mr. Jew, that you will be declared righteous by the law, by your works of the law, by keeping the law, great. So long as you were unwavering in your obedience. But since there's no partiality with God, if you didn't or don't obey the law perfectly, then what you have to look forward to is tribulation, distress, wrath, and so on. Now, does someone, let's say a Jew, who did not keep God's law, was he in a state of peace with God? He thought he was simply by having the law. But what does Paul say back here? The one who disobeys is looking for tribulation and distress. But the one who does good, he receives glory, honor, and peace. So the whole setup of the first three chapters is to show that according to your own acts of obedience, whether Jew or Gentile, no one has peace with God because God's righteousness means he will impartially pour out his righteous wrath on anyone who disobeys. But we who have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace toward God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross because as we saw in the end of chapter 3 God justly poured out his righteous wrath on Jesus in our place so that he could turn and declare us righteous and now that he's declared us righteous 
we're in the same status as if we had done what was right our whole lives. We have nothing to fear on judgment day if he's already declared us righteous. That's good news, right? That's really good news. And how do we get that? Through the Lord, through our Lord, Jesus Christ. All right? Through whom, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we also have the access by faith into this grace in which we have stood. And I like the uh, literal here because it gets the tense right. We have stood in this grace through Jesus. Or we have access into this grace in which we have stood. Where has he talked about grace so far in Romans? He's not, uh, he hasn't left his argument. Well, at least two places back in Romans 3:24, being justified, being declared righteous as a gift by his grace. Right? So we are declared righteous as a gift. It's by grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. Then chapter 4, he says it again, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. So justification is God's gift. It's in accordance with grace through faith rather than law. How did we get into this place where we stand on grace? Through Jesus. So grace and peace right here in these two verses. Do you, you know that Paul starts all of his letters off with grace and peace, right? And he uses that sometimes in the salutation as well. Why do you think he does that? Can the Jews offer grace and peace to Jewish people? To anyone they're bringing under the law? No, there's no grace and peace under the law. The law reveals sin. The law condemns the sinner. And he's going to go on to say, the law actually provokes sin. I think Paul is not just using a, um, a common nicety to start off his letters. I think he's saying, I want you all to know whoever I'm writing to, whether it's Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, whoever, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace which you could not find in your own righteousness or the righteousness of the law. But we who have been declared righteous then by faith, we have peace through whom, through Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace in which we have stood. All right, that part's easy. It's wonderful, but it's easy. Now we head into a section that is not so easy. This is going to challenge you. The next days, weeks are going to challenge some of you. He says, and we boast on the hope of the glory of God. We boast on this. Now, some of you have been taught all of your Christian life. We have no boast but Christ. We have no boast but Christ. Right? We sing songs about that. We'll see if you can maintain that view as we go through this section. So where have we seen the glory of God 
so far in Romans. Where has that phrase, the glory of God, appeared? And when we talked about it the first time, I asked you what you think it means. I, I acknowledge there that a definition is difficult. There's, there's nothing, um, we, we're not told exactly, precisely what the earlier passage means by the glory of God. At least that was the, the statement I made and, and some of you offered some, uh, uh, some response. Uh, yeah, Lewis got it here. Romans 3, 23. So I'll back up to 22 just to catch the context a little bit. So even the righteousness of God. So uh, I'll back up one more. Now, apart from the law or without the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through, and if you were with us, you know, this should be the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. So it's God's righteousness for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned, or all sinned, have is not uh, in it, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, or lack the glory of God. Now, Dale mentions Romans 1.23, which I just read to you a moment ago. Let me see if I still have that up here. Uh, oh, no, I didn't read 123. I read two. Whoops. Um, 123. Let me. <laughs> I got too many tabs open here. Let me. Oops. And I forgot the space. Okay. Uh, exchange the glory of the incorruptible God. Okay. Interesting. So professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the incorruptible God. That's a good point. So here, the glory of the incorruptible God uh, would be something akin to glorifying him, praising him, obeying him. Is that, is that fair, you think? Uh, does he use the word? The, whole, the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. For these people who profess to be wise but became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God so God's, eh, I guess the emphasis there is God's inherent glory and they've traded, but it still would be worshiping and honoring him, wouldn't it? Uh, 323 is what I was thinking of because the phrase is used there exactly for all sinned and fall short or lack the glory of God, which actually wouldn't be, again, I think uh, 123 would get close to the same thing. So here we see the glory of God that we fall short of or that we lack is in connection with sinning. You see that? At least here. And again, I think it works with 123 as well if, if it's intended to be taken similarly. But do you see how glory of God here is in the sentence, this and uh, kind of brings these two ideas together? The glory of God that we lack or fall short of has to do with our sin. If that's true, then does he mean the same thing here? We stand in this grace and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope, the glory of God. So if this is in the same context, 
then glorifying God, um, not sinning against God, worshiping God with our lives as we should, we boast on the hope of that. So the status in chapter 3 is all Jews and Gentiles have come short of this. And now because we have peace with God and because we stand, we have stood in this grace through Jesus Christ, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'm just going to leave that there not make any more comment and let's go on through the rest of this. And not only so, but we also boast in the tribulations. What tribulations? Well, let's see what he goes on to say. We who have known, we boast in the tribulations knowing that the tribulation works endurance. And the endurance, experience. Some of your translations say something like proven character. Uh, experience leading to, uh, I, the literally, I don't know if experience is a great translation, but the idea of you endure for a period of time and that, uh, that, that proves who you are. The, the Greek word actually has this element of proof. Uh, you've, you've proven yourself through testing. And that, experience that testing leads to hope and hope does not make ashamed because the love of God has been poured forth in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us all right we'll come back and look at this but I want to I want to draw your attention to some more language here all right so we boast on the hope of the glory of God we also boast in tribulations, leading to endurance, leading to proven character, leading to hope. Because God's love has been poured forth in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If I'm right about what the glory of God is emphasizing here, it fits perfectly with what he has already said. What did the Jews boast in? What has he said already that the Jews boast in, even if you weren't with us, you probably already know, don't you? Notice what he said back here in chapter 2, verse 17. If you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God because of the law. In fact, let me, let me pull up the whole section here. So he's, the context of chapter two is we're all going to stand before God at judgment, who's impartial. God's going to judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. If you bear the name Jew and you rely upon the law and you boast in God that you know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the mature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and the truth. 
You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? Yes, you do. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yes, you do. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You do. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Yes, you do. And he quotes from Isaiah to substantiate that. Their boast, their righteous boast was in having the law, being a Jew, being circumcised. And Paul's whole argument is, you are unrighteous and you stand guilty before God at judgment because the law will condemn you. You haven't kept it. You boast in it, but you actually fall short of the glory of God because you haven't kept it. Now, we who have peace with God, who've been declared righteous, who have stood in this grace, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I think what Paul's getting at is now we have a boast that unlike the unbelieving Gentiles and the wicked Jews, we will please God. We will obey God. We will serve God. How many times when God promises what's going to happen when Jesus comes? So when you go back to the Old Covenant and you look at the, the prophets, for instance, like Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, the, the promise of the new covenant, or Ezekiel 36, when he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take, that old, take out that old heart of stone. I'm going to sprinkle you clean, all this. Over and over and over again, in those promises of what we now know, we're pointing toward Christ in the new covenant. He says, I'm going to write my law in your hearts. I'm going to incline your heart to obedience. You will keep my statutes. You will keep my law. The Jews didn't have that. But the promise again and again and again is, I am going to take my people and give them the desire and the ability to serve me, to please me, to obey me. You know that, right? We boast in the hope of the glory of God. You Jews boast in the law, and that only condemns you. But having been justified and standing in his grace, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We are going to obey him. Not only this, we boast in our tribulations because they produce endurance. And endurance produces experience or proven character. And the proven character produces hope. And the hope doesn't make us shamed like the law does. Why? Because the love of God has been poured forth in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, here's what's going to rock your world. Did I not have that up? I'm sorry if I, I meant to put that up for you. Here's what's going to rock your world, if you, uh, at least some of you. Where Paul is going with this is... All the way through chapter 8. Actually, it's through chapter 11. He is not going to leave the Jewish-centric theology that he has to oppose. Sorry, that was a weird way to say that. This whole letter of Romans is a pushback 
to the Jews that are trying to persuade these Roman Christians to be circumcised and submit to the law. He has to explain all the way through what the law really did, what the law could not do, what the Jews of the first century, what their status was before God. It's, it, it, if you don't read Romans with that in view, you're going to miss the whole point. It is not a doctrinal statement on justification, sanctification, predestination. That's not what's going on here. All right, so here in chapter 5, we just, I just read this to you. We have the Holy Spirit mentioned. God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast that we are going to be able to please God. We boast through our tribulations because they lead to hope. That hope does not make us ashamed. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, the whole emphasis is on now we do please God. Now we can please God. Now we persevere through the hard things because of God's Spirit. All leading to chapter 8, what the law could not do. And I'm just going to read this here. We'll pick these phrases apart because the translations are difficult when we get there. But I just want you to see generally where this is going. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law. Now that, that word requirement, that is a difficult word. Again, we will look at that. So I don't want to get into all discussion now, but there's something having to do with the law here that will be fulfilled in us. Who's the us? We who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Remember what I told you? Flesh means? Read chapter 8 at least the first eight or 10 verses, thinking of circumcision when you see flesh and it'll, it'll rock your world. We'll get there eventually. But notice the, the, uh, um, the, the two paths here, the two realms, flesh, spirit. The law couldn't do something God did it through Jesus. Not for those who walk according to the flesh. Those who walk according to the flesh must die. So he says down here. The whole contrast is flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. He's starting this section, or at least heading this direction, to say we boast in the hope of the glory of God, which means, I think, now to please God, to glorify God to worship and honor God with our lives, the Jews could not do that because they were in the flesh bound to the law. We boast. You Jews boast in the law. The problem is it condemns you. We are declared righteous through Christ. We have stood in the grace of God through Christ. We boast in the hope of obeying and pleasing and serving God because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And he's going to spend the next four chapters showing sin 
death, the law, circumcision, all of it wrapped up together to make man enslaved. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, we can and will please God. And we boast in that. If you don't boast in obeying God, you are robbing God of glory. Think about that. I know you're wanting to rush to qualify this. All right, I'll qualify it for you. Why is it that any of us can obey God and please God? It's because number one, he's already declared us righteous. Number two, he has planted us in this grace. And number three, he has poured out his spirit. So the, the power source and, the, and the, the foundation of it all is God's grace and mercy. But his grace and mercy necessarily lead to glorifying him, obeying him, which the law could not provide. And Paul says we boast in that. See, we, we have to stick to the scripture. Those people that say, who, who still claim that the, the obedience of Christians, the righteousness of Christians is filthy rags, and that our hearts are still, de still deceptively wicked above all things. And that if we talk about righteousness at all, we are becoming uh, Arminian works righteousness driven. All of that is based in systematic theology, not in the scripture. We actually rob glory of God, from God, I should say, if we don't boast in obedience. Of course, you're not doing this by your own power. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's what the Holy Spirit came to do, to make a righteous people. Why do we call him the Holy Spirit? Why does the Bible call him the Holy Spirit? Because he's making us holy. And we give glory to God by saying, yes, I am more righteous than I was before I came to Christ because his spirit is working just as he said he would. All right. Our time is way past. All right, just, this gets me excited. And I think there is a weakness in the church, a lack of righteousness in the church, and a false humility in the church because we study the writings of men rather than the writings of God. All right, let me catch a couple of these and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Dale, boasting and obeying God is boasting in his being good at his job. Exactly. Now, of course, there are people who say, look at me, look at me, look at me, as though in their own ability they are obeying. Okay, well, that's nonsense. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. Is it grounded in his grace? Yes. Am I pursuing righteousness? Yes. Am I more righteous than I was 10 years ago? Yes. Am I more righteous than an unbeliever? Yes. Because God's spirit and his grace and his justifying truth have now put me in this realm where I am able to please him. That is a promise of the new covenant that was not there in the old covenant. All right, I got to run. You all need to run. Think on those things. We'll come back tomorrow and continue to work through Romans 5. Have a great day. God bless.